if we're going to kill the addiction, if we're going to kill the sickness, we got to kill the secret. Still to this day, and you think we'd be past this, but still to this day, the hardest thing for families in recovery to do is to recognize very simply that there are other families in recovery. People really do feel like they are terminally unique, like they are alone in this path and that no one can understand. They are ashamed, they are isolated, and I don't know how to say this to the listeners in any kind way, so I'm gonna say it straight. You've done it to yourself. You've shut the door on families who need to hear from you, and these are the families you need to hear from. I have uh, Robin with me. Uh, welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Robin is one of the speakers at the CCSAD Virtual 2020 Conference put on by C4 Events, and I got her as a guest here on Beyond Risk and Back. So welcome, families. We are going to talk about peer-to-peer -peer recovery and the power of families working with other families who are all going through the same thing. So Robin, thank you so much for being with us on Beyond Risk and Back. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. So it, it, it seems like this would be kind of a no-brainer, kind of a duh about uh, work, families working with other families. But still, in our parent weekends at our facility, uh, and we do kids 13 to 17, at our parent weekends, I'll ask the question each time, how many of you have had your kids steal your car? And some families in the front row will sheepishly raise their hand, and all of a sudden, and I'll go, I'll look to them, and I'll go, turn around and look what's behind you. And they'll turn around, and everybody will have their hands up. <laughs> and then I say, how many of you have had your kids call CPS on you, Child Protective Services on you because they were angry at you and just wanted to make your life miserable? And now hands are shooting up all over the room and everybody's looking around going, you too, me too. And the relief mm -hmm. is tangible. So let's talk about a couple things. Let's talk about peer-to-peer -peer recovery. Let's talk about uh, relieving the shame and guilt that you're the only people going through this. But before we talk to you about it, why are we talking about it? How did you end up here, Robin? What did, how did you end up in this work, in this industry, and uh, having all those letters after your name, M-A-L-C-M-H-C-R-Y-T-200? These are a lot of, uh, this. these are astronaut uh, acronyms. So, so tell me what you do. Well, first of all, I love to learn. I think we learn forever. So I'm just going to keep learning and keep putting myself through opportunities to do so. But I have been working for, gosh, the last 12 years in the mental health and substance use um, realm. And recently, the, the RYT 200 is yoga. I just went through a yoga training because I think that finding ways to connect body, mind, and spirit are, are really helpful. But my passion has always been in working with families and recognizing that the whole family hurts and the whole family is impacted and the whole family needs to heal. And a lot of um, work that I have done prior to Westbridge, I've been with Westbridge for almost nine years now, didn't honor the whole family. It just worked with the individual. And then the individual went back to the family and then nothing changes because the whole family right. didn't heal. Uh, Robin, I'm getting some feedback on your device. Can you turn the volume down a little bit so you can still hear me because the microphone is picking up your speaker. So see, as, yeah. see if you can shift that real quick as I get into, get into the next series of questions. Um, okay. So why is it in your opinion, what is it about 
uh, having a kid in recovery, ha- having a, a loved one, a spouse in recovery that makes us isolate ourselves. What is, what is the core that's going on? Remember, we're talking to a lot of listeners who the, the safest way for them to, to feel like they can get help is to listen to this podcast while they're cooking a meal or driving in their car or something like that. Like they're, we're still learning from Robin, but we're still kind of in our own little bubble with Robin here. So why, why are we, why are we isolating when we've got family members struggling? Absolutely. First question, can you hear me better? Uh, it's, awesome. it's wonderful. Thank you so much. Headphones are a powerful thing. Second, um, you reminded me, just the words that came up immediately for me were uh, stigma and stereotypes. Yeah. And we're so afraid. We're afraid to share with someone else that we're struggling. Parents are afraid to say, my son or daughter has schizophrenia. My son or daughter is addicted to heroin. And one family member in particular had told me years ago that co-occurring disorders are not a casserole disease. People don't show up with a casserole like they do when someone has cancer or someone has a terminal mental uh, medical illness. They actually run away in the other direction. Not only do they not show up with a casserole, but they stop calling. They stop coming over because they're afraid and they don't understand it. So what prevents families from talking about it is the stereotypes and stigma about what it means to have a co-occurring mental illness and substance use. It's, what's so hard about that is that this is absolutely the time. And and since such a big part of your work and such a big part of my work and everybody at, at, at the CCSAD conference, our work is that 12th step where you take the message of hope. Now, whether hope's in a casserole or hope's in what you know about bipolar, this person whose who's kiddo, this person whose loved one was just diagnosed with something, quite frankly, it feels like a death sentence. Even mm-hmm. if, you know, somebody says borderline personality disorder, everybody's like, oh, well, that's it. And it's not. Why do we, why do we break away from them? What's, where's, where's the disconnect? Well, I think a lot of it is education. Families don't know, um, and they're afraid of it. People know more about medical illnesses or other things that are tangible, but they don't understand um, what a, a mental illness might be. One of the moms um, that I had worked with in the past told me she was literally felt like she was sucker punched in the stomach when her, the doctor told her that her son had a diagnosis of schizophrenia. She had no idea what that meant. And she had all these concepts about what she read in the news of what it meant right. to have someone who, you know, a child that has schizophrenia. So people just pull away and they hide. How is there, is there a rock bottom? Is there a breaking point where someone finally says, I got to get, I got to go to a support group. I mean, like what's the impetus for finding a support group? And maybe that's the wrong way to ask that question, but perhaps you know what I, what I mean. How do people find themselves in support groups? Sometimes it's recommendation from somebody else, friends, families. Um, Some people takes years to get to the point where they're willing to open up and talk about what's going on for them. At, uh, At Westbridge, where I work, we, it's part of our process. So individuals come into our residential or outpatient program, and we have an array of family services that are available for the families. They don't have to do it all, but it's there for them. And um, if and when they're ready to do so, they can do so. But we also recommend other support groups that are outside of us, like through NAMI or Al-Anon or Alateen, if there's you know teenagers that are involved that can provide that resource specifically to get in touch with somebody 
prior to COVID in person, but right. a lot's on, you know, virtual right now. You said when we were off the air talking about uh, this show, um, you know, that, that the, the peer-to-peer piece is, um, is superior. You use the words wisdom of, of a lived experience. Mm. why if a family came to you is it is it a clear straight cut uh you need to get into a group this is part of your process do you recommend that over being a therapist or would you send a family to a private therapist or is it just a buffet line they should take a little bit of everything buffet line have some of this some of that and go back for seconds um i think that there's value being a therapist myself there's definitely value in in therapy I've learned by watching a family mentoring program and support groups be created where I am. That's the role that I've been in in the past several years developing them. There's nothing that is as equal as having the lived experience to be able to connect on that supportive soul level. Someone else, I actually have a quote if you wouldn't mind. I'd love to read you a quote. One of our family mentors, just two hours ago, I was on a call with them providing just supervision and guidance. And she said, family mentoring is a, w- a way that gives me meaning in some of the darkest days of my life, it, where I was in a level of confusion and suffering that I've experienced. And now I get to hold that light for somebody else. Sharing gives me hope and makes me feel better. I mean... Again, we're, we're talking about, I know that it, as people listen to this, the logic of it, the, the common sense that this makes, hearing a testimony like that, you're just like, okay, this makes sense. But how is it that learned experience provides more than expertise? I mean, because there's, there's knowing and there's understanding. Let's talk about the difference between knowing and understanding. You're a therapist. Most likely, you have not been... Uh, affected or suffered with all of the types of things with the people you've treated. Yet you're an expert on these things. Why would you recommend that they go to someone who's not an expert when they could have mm. someone like you who's had years of education to to give them the support? Because I can't understand what it's like to be in their shoes. Somebody else who has been in their shoes on a similar situation can provide them with techniques that they've used, can provide them with resources that have been helpful for them, that have brought meaning to their life in a way that a therapist can't. Okay, so then it really, it, it, it begs the question, is it really just this simple? And I ask this from an understanding place because I run a facility. I've been through the 12 steps. I've been a peer mentor. I've been a mentor, uh, a, a trainer. So... I, I want to say I understand the simplicity of this, but in your mind, Robin, is it just this simple? Someone who's been through it can help you better than someone who hasn't. Maybe not necessarily better, but different. And I think coming back to the buffet, the buffet. it's both. Because the therapist can help you work through certain things and understand what's going on in the brain. And depending on what type of uh, treatment you're you're going through, you know, target specific modalities for your specific symptoms. But a peer support can understand in, in a totally different way. So it's it's both. It's the combination of somebody that's really going to listen to you and can empathize truly to be able to provide a support system that gives hope and comfort and connection and helps somebody move to a place where they can see that they have their own recovery journey. And there's just, I mean, another quote that someone shared is they give new friends. They gain new friends and they gain 
they gain the knowledge that they're not the only one that's going through this. They don't feel alone. They don't feel isolated. All right. Curveball for you for when we come back from our little commercial here. I want us to talk about, because you talked about, you know, this, this peer support uh, person who gave you the quote and that you're supervising them. So what I want to know is a list of rules or a list of steps or a list of techniques that if you had a room full of parents who were listening to the show and now wanted to turn around and help other parents who aren't listening to the show, what would be the rules you would give them? You can do this. You can't do this. You, you must do this. You must never do this. I want to ask, I, w- I want you to li- give us a list, give us some ground rules for peer support. And I'll be right back after I uh, uh, talk about our gold sponsors for a quick second. Okay. Okay. So if you've been listening to any of the CCSAD shows, uh, you know that C4 has had to make a massive shift from being in this huge hotel rooms and taking up the entire hotel with all of us crazy mental health and and addiction recovery workers teaching each other and connecting yet again because we get to see each other at all these conferences and we have this amazing time and we get together and we have meals and we share referral sources and information sources and we learn from each other. And this year we couldn't do it. We have to be able to do it online and find a way to make this flow, find a way to make it real and connective and personal like it is in these conference rooms. And so C4 events, CCSAD virtual 2020 conference, still needed support, the money, the the time and the energy from sponsors to help make this happen. There was a there was a whole tech team that that got brought on board to make sure that these these education classes could go live that I could come on and instead of being there personal uh, personally that I can make sure that these shows are going to the and the, the list goes on and on. So right now I want to thank the gold sponsors for the CCSAD virtual 2020 conference. Arc Behavioral Health, BRC Recovery, Dreamscape Marketing and Incredible Marketing. These are four companies and I've interviewed some of them. I, I interviewed uh, uh, Marsha from BRC Recovery. I've, I've spoken at length with Incredible Marketing. These are companies that have stepped forward with time, money, and energy to make sure that this event, this CCSAD event can happen even virtually. So thank you to our gold sponsors. Let's get back on with Robin. All right, Robin, the curveball. As I was doing the commercial, I'm watching you write things down, so I know you're going to knock it out of the park. Uh, <laughs> so, how do we do peer support? If I got a group of parents say I want to help somebody, what are my do's and do nots? Yeah, we actually have a list of do's and do nots. I bet we, have we do. <laughs> uh, no, but I want to say because this could slip into some codependent patterns. This could slip into some behaviors where people are given opinion. I'm not a therapist. I'm a coach. And I know the difference between the two because as a coach and a, and a company founder, I hire master's level therapists. I hire psychiatrists. I hire nurses. And I am not any of those. I know my role and I know the limit to which my care, even if I know the answer, has to stop and I need to pass it over to the professional. So this is serious. This isn't just kind of an offhanded, you know, don't be available 24-7, you know, because you've got to have boundaries. So like, what is it? 
what can you do? What can you not do? Let's go, let's go back yeah. to your list. So let's start with the knots because I love ending on the on the do's and Yay. the positive. Good, perfect. Um, no legal advice. Don't give legal advice. Don't give medical advice, treatment advice, medications that work specifically for their their loved one may not work for another. Not being a counselor, to your point. Um, maybe you could talk about counseling experiences, but not not in that role. Those are are kind of the the no's setting boundaries I put on the do's. So switching over to the do's, the first one is just listen. Listen to the other person, like truly reflectively, empathetically listen, uh, provide support, ask questions, share your experiences, because there's nothing better than someone saying, yeah, me too. And this is what I did. This is what worked. This is what didn't work. Maybe it'll work for you. Maybe it won't encourage, encourage self-care, encourage growth and exploration, and encourage them to advocate and ask questions themselves. And then resources, maybe recommending resources that worked, uh, books, podcasts, um, you know, different videos, things like that. Setting boundaries, for sure. We have a process where we encourage our family mentors and and support group facilitators to set boundaries, not necessarily sharing all of their personal information and then asking for help from us and guidance on when to ask for help from us, when to bring something up to us. If there's a concern for safety, automatic hands down have to share with us, but also if they feel like maybe their boundaries are being crossed and they don't know how to navigate it. Do you recommend like setting up actual appointments or do you set up timeframes that you can just be available because it, it can easily feel and look like you're moving into the coaching realm or moving into the counseling realm? Um, how, how do you suggest people connect with each other by phone, by zoom? Do you still want some anonymity or do you want it really personal? Yep. So for the support group, it's on Zoom. We have a dedicated Zoom line that we give to family members that um, they use. It doesn't change, so they can keep using it. They sign a statement of confidentiality, and um, it's just as much sharing like this. So you know sure. what I put on the screen for my name. They don't share their phone numbers unless they choose to do so. So there is anonymity there. For the family mentoring program, it's a little bit different because they're connecting one-on-one. So what I share with each other is just their first name and phone numbers, and then they get to share what the rest is. I do recommend in the program, we have actually a family mentoring plan built into our program curriculum, is that um, they typically meet once a week. And it could be on Zoom or it could be by phone. Ironically, uh, we have families from all over the country, and we happen to have several times, unknowingly, I've paired people that live near each other. And it just worked (laughs) out that way. And one time I paired people that didn't realize it until they were starting to talk that they were actually distantly related. Oh my gosh. That's phenomenal. I know. If that, and I'm I'm not a huge, (laughs) you know, believer in like things like that. But but if that is an example of something else at play. Um, So being mindful, I'm very mindful of what I share. Obviously I'm bound by, you know, ethics and integrity and and then HIPAA and things like that. But um, encouraging them to be mindful of what they share as well. And if they feel uncomfortable, there has been one situation where 
uh, family member felt like their, uh, we call it a mentor and a mentee, that yeah. their mentee was contacting them too much. Okay. And um, I guided that mentor to have a conversation about setting boundaries and offered to step in and support. And she said, no, I think I can do it. Nice. And she did it. Nice. So, so t- let's talk about Westbridge. I, I've had the opportunity to interview g- you guys at the past at the CCSAD live. I, I spoke with Stacy. Um, so let's talk about we- uh, Westbridge, where you guys work and the type of program you have. Sure. We're in Manchester, New Hampshire, and we're a co-occurring mental health and substance use disorder program for men 18 and older and their families. Um, and we have two types of programs. One is residential it typically pre-COVID, um, we can yeah. work with up to 10 men right now, just because there's two per room to make the 10 men where our capacity is five at right. this given moment. Right. And then we have an assertive community treatment team where we work with individuals in the community of Manchester and support them f- with everything that they possibly need in terms of care management, medical care, making sure that they get to medical care, psychiatric appointments, counseling, substance use, um, daily living, evening supports. Perfect. How are people going to find Westbridge? What's a website, phone number, anything you got for them? Yep. Westbridge.org and all our contact information is right there on the website. Okay. And are you currently still taking admissions? I know you're, you're down at five, but still, are you, are you still reviewing applications and things? We are, it's going on a rolling admission process. If there's an availability and someone is in the spot where they're um, available for treatment at that time or ready for it, then there's a chance for admission. Private pay insurance. How do you guys work finances? Both. Okay. Uh, historically, we've been private pay, but we are in network with seven, I believe, different Wonderful. insurance companies. Um, every plan's different. So we just tease that out. Wonderful. Uh, Robin Pennard, thank you very, very much for, for, for being on the show. This was perfect. This was great. Uh, and I, I, as always, I look forward to seeing you guys again, speaking with you guys again. Uh, I dig your program. I'm, I'm, uh, in that part of the country quite often. And, uh, and I, I love the, the podcast we did last time. And this one was just as good. Perfect. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. We'll uh, stay on the line as I take us out if you would. Okay. So here we are again, feeling alone, feeling like no one's going to understand, feeling like this is, this is just us. Something must be wrong with our family. And it's just absolutely not true. It is just, it's just backwards. And there's some part of your brain, if you're one of these parents that's, that's worried, stressed out, wants anonymity because your child, your loved one's uh, uh, dysfunction that's affected your entire family is gonna somehow ruin your life, ruin your career. One secret I'm gonna let you in on right now about my industry, the mental health and addiction industry, is that every single one of us has had a personal experience with this. So many of us are in recovery. So many professionals in this industry, and I've done shows with them. And in fact, last year's CCSAD show, there, there were three founders presidents of of residential programs whose own children were in recovery we understand and we are able to have those hard conversations about our kids about our parents about ourselves with each other because we know the power of peer-to-peer and na they say there's nothing like it and 75 years of na rooms has proven that these untrained addicts in recovery 
can do powerful, powerful work with an addict who wants recovery. It being overseen like they do in, in Westbridge by a master's level, master's, master's level therapist is brilliant. That has somebody looking over the peers and making sure what they're doing is really doing a lot of good. So, parents, thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Risk and Back. I want to thank Deepin Productions for the music and for the production producing of all these podcasts. I want to thank C4 Events, who puts on the CCSAD and this virtual 2020 conference, for keeping me on board and interviewing these amazing guests like Robin. And I want to say, parents, listen, like, subscribe, and share, and please leave a review of Beyond Risk and Back on iTunes to help parents find the help so they can help their families. It really does help. My thanks to Robin. And parents, take care of yourselves first, your adult relationship second, your children third, because in that way, you're going to do your best work with your kids. We'll talk again next week.